0: welcome to the review for the week of the 1st of November. I'm your host Graham Mackay, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend with pumpkins behind his head, a uh, Christian Wolf. How are you, Christian?
1: Happy Halloween, Graham. Uh, Pleased that you can join us. For, uh, for once, I say us, I'm talking about myself in the um, I'm, I'm, Look, It's been a busy day. You know, ha- Halloween is, uh, always oh, a busy day. I was going to say it's always a busy day in the air. I don't know why it should be a busy day in the air. Did you know? Well, um, that's just on the intro so, still. Did you, uh, Have we talked about this before how in Kilmarnock, you know, the rival city here, um, they, they do Halloween on the Friday before Halloween. What? And uh, it's, it's just like Kilmarnock. It's like Killoween. And instead of doing it on actual day, they're doing the last Friday before Halloween. That Everybody goes out and do trick-or-treating and everything like that. See, they
0: they get a wee bit of fame with our Kelly Pies, and it goes to their head, and they think they can do what they want. But I'm not accepting it being called a city. I mean, if that's a city, then the village I live in is a metropolis.
1: I I actually had my uh, first trip to to Rugby Park in
0: the spring. It was Feb. yeah.
1: it was. the, The vegan pie was actually quite good. I'll
0: tell you that. Last time I was at Rugby Park, was the game after Seville, and right. it was completely tragic. So there you go. P- thanks for bringing that up, though. So no, did you they, do? Did, I assume you took the kids out for trick or treating. We did the The
1: was quite small, so we had thought about going house to house, but we went to a couple of relatives, and after that, their buckets were full of candy. They were like, ah, "I just want to go home now." That's like that's fine by me. So, but yeah, I, I think everybody's pretty pleased all around. So, I, like, I had I had had a bat with a skeleton. Uniform on the knee, and then I had Darth Vader. So, so that was the, the costumes.
0: i ah, that's fantastic. Eh? I mean, th- for the last couple of years, we've prepared like a, a like it's a spider web bowl of uh, treats that we'd got in America. So little little milk duds and little little rollos and stuff like that. Last year, no one came at all. This year, we had our first trick or treaters. Three, three kids. And it's it's even, like everything in German, it's even more sinister sounding over here because it's it's not trick-or-treat to say, it's like, uh, give us sweet or we'll give you sour. Nice. <laughs> and it's kind of like, well, I mean, that's... I, I was going to ask what it's like in Germany, because when I
1: grew up in Norway, it, it just didn't exist. The only very, thing we knew uh, about it, but it was, you know, you saw American films and American sitcoms and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, but
0: yeah, no, no, so... Yeah. It's nice, isn't it? It breaks but, up before Christmas. Exactly. You know, you, you have that. It's, it's good. I like the decor as well. We've got the pumpkins yes. out and everything. Mine is pretty horrendous looking, but Christmas was pretty good. So. But, let's let's nice. move on from that horror show and talk about a horror show that happened last week. Um, you like that segment? Um, let's yeah, start...
1: It, it was so, good to you kind of ruin it by pointing it out.
0: pointing yeah. yeah. So... When, the first thing you've got written under the kind of, Shakhtar analysis is t- t- is Kyogo and Gigi. <laughs> so tell us about Kyogo and Gigi starting together, like so, Ebony and Ivory, the Paul McCartney and Stephen Windsor <laughs> song.
1: So yeah, I mean, I think it was on the as opposition analysis of the I said that I wasn't quite excited with Shakhtar yet because I had I had a lot on my mind after Shakhtar. So this is sort of like my own private therapy session, I think after Celtic games. So there's a lot of elements we can go through from the Shakhtar game. But I think they kind of relevant. it's like a wider um a wider discussion about what are happening tactically as Celtic and so on. So but yeah Kyoko Gigi Looking back it, it is an odd it is an odd thing to do, isn't it? In terms of I think they've started to get her on top once things a 2 0 against St. Johnston last season. Didn't really work. And you kinda go, why is Anish doing this? Is it doing it because he wanted more firepower up front? Is it doing it because he wanted some of both of other qualities in the team? Or is it doing it because he doesn't really have a number a t you really trust in a Champions League game now that he put my, Matt O'Reilly in the six, because your alternatives would have been Aaron Moy, I guess. David Turnbull would maybe not quite back from um, full fitness. You could put Matt O'Reilly in the eight, but they have to put Abel Gore, you know, the defensive midfielder you're saying, uh, in the six. And the only, but you, you could have had, for example, Haksabanovic in the eight as well, and then say put Maeda or even. I guess Forrest starting uh, as well there. so But he goes with a front, our front two, literally. Well, that's what <laughs> did he. I guess that's what we're coming on to. But he, he chooses to start Kyogo and Gigi in a must-win game in the Champions League, which he's done once before. And while I see the logic in that, that's also, I, I, I count that as a curveball. Right, and I kind of want to get your thoughts before we kind of go into how what Kyogo actually was on the night, (laughs) if he was a striker, if he he was a a midfielder. But what what was your reaction to it?
0: I was I was not happy with it. Um, It was not the team that I wanted to go with. And I think if we if we'd gone with a different team, I think we would have got the win from the game. Uh, I think it really McGregor me now is really hamstrung us in a lot of ways because we just don't have a midfielder that he trust fully. I would like to have seen Haxabanovich in the number eight. I would like to have seen Maeda and Forrest on the wings with Kyogo through the middle. It just felt as if that would have been much more naturally balanced for us. I feel as if we played better away from home against Shakhtar than we did at home. And just looking at, so you've, mm. you've given us some images of the passes received versus Shakhtar, and I'm counting 14 passes that Kyogo received in that match. 14 passes over, what, sixty eight minutes, 70 minutes? And for a midfield, for someone that was operating in the kind of attacking midfield role, that just seems to me that he wasn't involved enough.
1: Well, I, I think this this is the key. Is, is so, what do you want? What do you want to do? And what do you want? What do you want to do with with Keogh going and TD on the pitch? And it kind of, kind of fell between two stools for me because I think Keogh's got one shot, um, and he's got. As I to say, 14 passes, he, he receives um th- he makes 13 passes. All right. So if, first of all, you go, okay, is is he is he a number eight in this game? Is is he a strike? And he kind of falls between each one of them because he's, he's not in as involved as a number eight as you'd usually have that player do. So, so I, I said to you kind of uh, an overview in the Champions League. If you look at those three midfielders, the three starting midfielders, if you look at all the open play passes between them, you know, there's there's a trend whereas the number six usually have the most passes. And then essentially, Rio Hatata, who's just kind of, you know, the slightly deeper number eight, usually he's. Then you know he, he will have the second most, and then the person who's like the most advanced number eight, which is usually been Matt O'Reilly, in the first three games of the Champions League, and then Haksabanovic against Leipzig, for, for example. And you look at okay, how many passes they have, but what in terms of how many percentage of those the passes between them have does each one of them have? And if you look at like the most advanced central midfielder role in that, so Matt O'Reilly. Against Madrid, he has 23% of the passes of those three midfielders. Against Shakhtar, he had 21%. But in Leipzig away, he had 24%. And against Leipzig at home, huck has 24 of the passes between those three. Kyogo has 16% of the passes between those three. So obviously, he was a lot less involved on the ball. Not a lot, less, a fair bit less, like about a third less. than that person in that role would usually be but he didn't contribute But as I it that sounds like he wasn't trying. He didn't add more shots to it. You know, he, he didn't you he didn't have two strikers so I was taking shots. And I, I think that's what happened when you put somebody in a role, they're not at the best at. You know, you, it's see, for example, you know, I'm I'm not David Turbo, I'm always biggest fan, so we can come on a bit about the Livingston game as well, but at least that's their role and that's how they play it, so uh, I don't think that kind of really worked. And so, you say if, if you look at the shot maps, and again, not great podcasting this, but the interesting thing for me was that Rio Hatate, I, in, in terms of what this does to the midfielders, so Rio Hatate receives the ball in his own half just as Matt, or just as much as Matt O'Reilly. So I think he ended up with maybe as a consequence of Kyogo being midfielder, you have attacked a maybe, almost I guess you would call it a double pivot in our language in terms of two deeper midfielders and one more attacking midfielder at number 10. And Because if you look at where Matt O'Reilly received his passes, he received loads of passes, quite high up in Shakhtar's half in you know, the, the right half space between the 60-yard books and the edge of the penalty area, like Laterally. so sorry. Vertically, so you you have Matt O'Reilly almost reprising his midfield in, in number eight role, and you have Rio me deeper, and then you kind of got Kyogo on the right hand side as well. But what I think, you, if you then go down and look at the pass maps of the fullbacks, you can see that Craig Taylor is, as he often does, but especially in this game, was. He was almost like an auxiliary central midfielder because Matt O'Reilly pushed a lot up to the right. Greg Taylor came in more and wasn't. Rio Hatate was more like back in the middle. And then you had Kyogo kind of doing his things, usually out on the right. And I thought when Kyogo was on the ball, he, I, I thought Kyogo had, had a decent game. <laughs> I thought in terms of when he was on the ball, he, he, he was quite useful with it and he was quite progressive with it. And he's, you know, and that's before we get to his like defensive app. So I thought when he was on the ball he was he was okay, but I think there was something off with that midfield offensively and also defensively because you put Kyogo there and you kinda didn't put play him as an alternate or you've been playing as an number eight and it kinda didn't change the kind of relationship between the deep number six to O'Reilly and Hatate as well.
0: Why why do you think <laughs> So why do you think Ange made this decision? Because obviously he... Kyogo, I think a lot of people have been thinking that he's struggled for form recently. Uh, Gigi's obviously been getting goals when he's been playing. Why do you think he sacrificed his best striker in this game? Uh, Is it a a case of he might be our best striker, but he's not our most informed striker, so Gigi has to start up front? Or do do you think he just wanted as much... Quality in front of goal on the pitch as possible. I can have like almost like a new line and getting as many technicians on the park.
1: Yeah, I mean, you end up speculating, but just the fact that he hasn't done it before, you know, he, well, he's done it once before against Johnson, he, he hasn't replicated it. He's had plenty of chances to play Kyogo and Gigi up front together if he wanted to. You know, this—if <laughs> you try domestically, for example, see how that works. But to go and try it in a Champions League game like that, it's—and it's not—it's not, it's not like he didn't have alternatives. You know, you—you you could get forty-five minutes out of Aaron Moy if you wanted to. You could put Haksabadić on there. You, you had with Haksabadić, we had four you know, fit wingers to, that you could play as well. So. Uh, I thought it was an old one. I, I think you can say, and, and a lot of that is, if it worked, it would be great, you know, in terms of if Kyogre had, you know, maybe got that goal from his chance and so on, but it's it's not really about, it's, it's a bit about the outcome, but it's about the process of getting to, if you haven't, if you're trying something in the most twin Champions League game, that you've tried once in, in over a year of football, when you've had the chance, and when you weren't forced into injuries. injuries. Uh, it, that's a process Like, it could not work? But uh, as we know, you know the process and the outcome. It, it, is that a good process? Is that a good thinking in, in terms of the logic behind that? I don't get it, So I thought that was a, I thought that was a misstep.
0: So one of the one of the the, the problems that I, I saw and one of the kind of things that surprised me a little bit was that what it says about someone like Guard. I mean, obviously we've had the. Ange coming out and saying that he's like second half of the season signing blah blah blah, but for the for the getting your good players in the correct positions, and with the understanding that Shakhtar were not going to be here to kind of um, storm us with attacking play, we're obviously going to be hit as an counter attack. Would it not have been a better idea to get Abelgarde in that number six position so you could put Mattarelli in his natural position and just have a more balanced team? And with the understanding that Abelgaard might be quite rusty in, in the game, but it's more important to get like players in their natural positions. Yeah,
1: that that is the logical conclusion of that. And I think that ability thing is is probably wanted to really, really dive into it, and I think, in a World Cup break in terms of what's happening with the transfer process, what is the thinking behind it? So, Ange's reasoning, public reasoning for this, is that both Abilgar and Moy, and I guess to certainly really, is, you know, they need time to bet in, and they need time to, you know, the second, <laughs> second half of the season, uh, players more and more. And you go, okay. I guess the question is, how much do you take that at face value? Because, I mean, he's absolutely like, I mean Players do need time to integrate to a system. And that's fair. And a lot of bigger clubs, you know, Liberal is an example where they've had players in, and it kind of takes them six months to get into um, the system. But <laughs> to be honest, if, if you're buying. A guy who's, who's, who's this in the mid-twenties. He's played in the Russian league, and you buy a guy who's thirty-one year old. In case there's a bit of fitness issues there, and, and Haxebanish as well. You, you know, again, this is a seasoned pro. If you want to use a cliche, it's not like they're moving to a completely different kind of league, or you know, this is they're very young and they need to learn the system They're
0: I mean, they're, they're internationals. That's what I don't get. That's why I they're don't inter-
1: buy. Yeah. And so so, so, so if you take that at face value, that brings all the questions of going, why do you have you, the two midfielders you brought in, and to some degree, the, the main winger you brought in? Like, maybe your three main, if you look away from CCB, your three main purchases, but you go, actually, you know, they're for the second half in the season and <laughs> you go you got six games in the Champions League. <laughs> you know. So I I for me it's either if for Avogore specifically, he is not the type of player that either he's not what Orange thought he was, or he's not the type of player he actually wanted. Or the the process had been completely messed up. And if you if you brought him in at the start of the preseason, um Okay, maybe he would have be been up and running, but there's a lot of things that doesn't that jar with me for that transfer. It's
0: it's that's why I don't buy it because we're, if Abogard came over by himself and we were just getting told this line about fitness and stuff, then all well and good. But we're comparing him to someone who came in at a similar time who had a similar lack of football. Thirty-one years old, n- never been naturally fit. Uh, and he's getting like sixty minutes, ninety minutes, and uh, I'm talking about Aaron Moy, obviously. So I, I can't, I don't buy that Abogard is just nowhere near fitness. But we managed to get Aaron Moy up to fitness. It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, I it, it, actually said, okay, well, we had to rely on Moy more than Abogard, But it's not like okay, he came in a bit sooner. But as you say, I, I, as I just said to myself, Aaron Moy had one game in a year, pretty much, almost in in in, in 2022 he's 31 years old, you're putting him in either in a number eight position or a number six position in a system where he doesn't really fit either of them great. Uh, so it, to, to say that, and Apple go okay, this you know, there's been issues in terms of training and stuff, but he's younger, he's he is fitter, he's 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 played more regular at a higher, a much higher level. But you can't, the reason why you can't play him is because he's not, he does so the system. I mean, it's. And I think he would have been, it's, you know, against, okay, he comes on against Leipzig and it's, it's, it's a bit, okay. It's some good things, some bad things. But he got 75 minutes against Leipzig. And he was by no means, you know, the worst player on the pitch. He wasn't he was he wasn't any worse, any better than any other players on the pitch. But So I thought at that point, okay, well, he's, he's got 70 minutes now. Leipzig at home, Schachter at home. But then I think it's very next-gauge. Matt O'Reilly starts in the six, and you go, okay, if, if Matt O'Reilly is what, we'll get on to him as well. If he is what Hansch wants, if he's the type of player that Hansch wants in the number six, fair enough. You know, I mean, we've broken the deed at like the Champions League so far, we've broken it down and, you know, put it beyond the scoreboard. And we look at Matt O'Reilly, and if Hansch wants to start in the six, as we talked about, absolutely fine. You know, that's that makes sense in a little way. Why is Abelgar at the club the you know, it's, so I think, uh, you know, that there's something with that transfer specifically, which I think at the moment looks like a big red flag. But I just don't know what that red flag is. And I you, don't know. I, it's it's a flag that not I don't know what the red flag stands for.
0: You would have been when when we were linked with him and when we signed him. You would have been going through obviously some of these highlights from uh, Ruben Kazan. Was there anything that jumped out at you that would would have made you think that you wouldn't be able to handle Andrew's system?
1: So, so I, t- I think what we did at the time was just like a stat report from, him. and th- what I remember for that is that he he was such a good match stats wise for our you know, going but not forgotten, um, it made for the Salsa as well. Obviously, it was that on and off, on and off loan move, you know, Manchester City Lonnie. And you, you looked at, it, at this guy's numbers, like oh, he's a bit of a monster, and you go at Abigail's numbers, and it's like, okay, that's that's a very similar stat profile to Sosa. And you go, okay, so you didn't get your first choice, but it was clear were you were looking for a specific type of midfielder that could put more emphasis on, I guess, robustness, defensive work, it's challenges, but you can also play a bit. And that's what came out from Abigail's numbers as well, and in, in terms of the reports of the you know things I can't remember his name, there's one guy on, on, on Twitter in terms of a Russian black expert who'd been a bit iffy on both accidents and starfield actually, and he said this to himself but he said, Ooh, Abigail you got you got yourself, you know, a gem there. And say, you know, you can you can play but you can do the other stuff. You know, okay, he's been within a, a team that got relegated, but so I'll boost your defensive stats up a little bit, obviously. But you know, this is a guy. If, if you want that type of midfielders, type of midfielder, well, there you go. You you got one. Here you go. And then you go, but well, then he doesn't play. <laughs> and, and then says, "No, oh, you know what? Matt O'Reilly brings in six is what I want." And you go, well, fair enough. Why is this guy at the club? You know, mm-hmm.
0: so, yeah. one of the things from the the, the images that he sent. Show, I would say the majority, maybe even say the vast majority of Matareli's passes received were in that kind of right wing half space, quite far up the pitch. Is that where you want your number six receiving passes?
1: No, not really. I mean, it's you wouldn't think that would be with the majority of passes. That that's obviously influenced by the type of this, the type of play in that game. You know, Shack, there was deeper. So there was always the uh, you know, you would expect players to receive the ball higher off the pitch, but I mean, you're right. You know, Natarai's pass map is much more like when he's played the number eight against Shakhtar. Uh, Ryo Hatata's pass map looks like he's the number six. So for me, they, they were playing more like a double pivot against Shakhtar in terms of they were both kind of doing that defensive work and the attacking work. So and, and maybe that you know, with Kyogo there, maybe that was a bit more of the idea as well, and that was to tweak. But you are essentially tinkering what with your system then to a degree that Ansh hasn't really done before. Right? He always says, "Okay, well the, the tinkering or the adjustments is it's the same system, is just who I who I play there." And, and it's, uh, but I, I think this was a bit more of a tinkering than that. So it's uh, the whole thing doesn't really make sense to me.
0: One of the you've you've flagged up Matt O'Reilly on on uh, the, the notes here, and uh, you've mentioned his um, short selection, and you've mentioned the fact that he he missed out on sixty six percent of his defensive duels. What did you? Oh, I think it's been pretty clear that you're not a big fan of O'Reilly in the number six uh, compared to to Cal uh, McGregor. What did you make of his performance against Jacko Dunyes?
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. Alan and I had a a good chat about him being on the scoreboard in terms of just looking at what he does in the role compared to Calvin McGregor. But as, as I said, there, I it's so fair to compare him against Calvin McGregor because nobody's as good as Calvin McGregor. And that's that's fine, but the the thing that kind of made me look into this for the Shakhtar game is just like I, you're watching the game and that's like. Matt O'Reilly's shooting a hell of taking a hell of a lot of shots. And he's taking them from I'm sorry, but he's taking them from the near bit on positions. He's taking them from the David Turnbull positions. So I had I had a I wanted to have a look at kind of just his shot map before and after um moving from a six to an eight. And it's it's interesting what happens then, like in terms of because he had six shots against Shakhtar, which is a lot, especially if you're supposed to play uh, the deep six position. And and that's what you you would expect like O'Reilly is like this is all his games this season. You know, if if you look at his games at defensive midfield compared to central midfield, you you would expect, he's taking less shots. You know, he's taking about two point one per game in the deep role, he took 3.3 in the more advanced role his XG went from 0.33 per game to 0.12 but also what what happens is his average chance quality obviously falls so when he's in central midfield his average chance quality was XG of 0.10 per chance so his shots has a 10% chance going in that fell to 0.06 average XG per shot. So you, shots have about 6% chance of going. And then you can kind of see he's falling into, and all of this is kind of what you expect because he's, he's deeper down. He doesn't make those run into the in, into the box anymore and he doesn't really contribute in that way. But I also think this, and this is myself putting myself into Matt Morales, his brain here, she probably shouldn't do any outside stuff. But I think against Shakhtar specifically, he seems frustrated you know, he wanted to get and he wanted to take those shots and he takes six shots against Shakhtar as I said, it's like so that make me, as I said, go and look at all these shots so far and it's this kind of big swing from shots from outside the box if you exclude the free kicks you know, as a central midfielder he had one, as a deep midfielder he he's 1.5 so that was a big change, but it's also where he takes those shots, Matt O'Reilly. So if you look at all the shots that's it's not in the penalty box or the D right outside the penalty box, because you know that's as the American says that that's still good real estate to take a shot just from outside the box in the middle. Like <laughs> he took what he's taking 1.3 shots from outside that area per game now, and he had something like 0.6 per 90 before that. So sixty-seven percent of all Matt Riley's shots after he got moved down is from pretty hopeless positions. I like not hopeless, but very low probability of scoring. Whereas before central midfield he was only taking the shots from seventeen percent. Like seventeen percent of shots shots from from outside that area. So it's kinda is it's, it's I think he's kind of falling into that trap that I think Defensive midfielders kind of do in that he's, he's still taking two shots per game, but he's taking them from really poor positions, which just happens, happens to happen me a Cal McGregor does a bit as well. So instead of kind of being in those positions and circulating the ball, I think he still kind of want to have a pop up right? So I, I think it's against Shakhtar specifically. He takes five shots from outside the box and you go, I mean, come on, mate. I know you're frustrated, but it, that's just bad shot selection. And I think that that is as a it's a natural consequence. Guy He's is not as high up. He's not getting into the box because that's maybe not his role anymore. But he still wants to contribute. So offensively, I thought his decision making was poor, just because of that. I think defensively, Manuel is a funny one as a defensive midfielder because he has. It sounds simplistic, but when I watch mass, sometimes I just think he's got long legs, and sometimes they get those long legs and he gets them into a tackle and he gets the ball, and it's like, oh, that's but I, I overall I think he is, like, especially against Shakhtar, I think he was very poor defensively, and I think you can be defensively poor, poor in, in two ways, right? You can be in the actual challenges, so. When you try to tackle, when, you, when you're in a defensive duel with somebody and in certain key areas. And for want of a, a you know, better word, I thought it was weak in the tackle. You know, I've sent you a few screenshots when he was up against Mudrick. And okay, Mudrick is, is, is very good. But even when he got close to Mudrick, he wasn't. There's three situations here where, he as if you're playing number six for Celtic into the Champions League. You can't let a player like that pass you this easily when he's so close to you. You you just need to get more of on the ball and or just take the man in those positions. And again, that's that's a really harsh criticism, of Matt O'Reilly, because he's he's only started playing in number six a month ago. You know, so in a way, it's it's obviously not his game. But I, I I honestly don't see him having. First of all, he is playing in the Champions League, so he has to be judged on what he's done there. And that is up to the manager who's put him there. It's also in terms of his development, I just don't see him as that, being able to do that. But the other way you can be poor defensively is your positioning and your choices in your press and your choices in in trying to keep a distance to, to the midfielders beside you and keeping those kind of distances. And again, it didn't work for me. You know, there was too much space between him and Hattat. and it's not just a Matt O'Reilly problem. It's, it's got issues with the front line and the back line as well. But I think he gets overrun. He he gets caught in too much space. It's partly his fault. It's partly the rest of the team's fault. So overall, I think I, I think it's Matt O'Reilly's worst game for Celtic. Right. And then there's so many mitigating circumstances for that. But this also shows me that what works with Matt O'Reilly domestically in the six, because I think there's a lot of stuff that works there, and I think it's it's, it's been going okay and I'd rather have him there than a couple of those alternatives at number six, I'll be honest, but in the Champions League level, no, it it does not work in those, especially in those type of games. And again, you go, you have this big red flag in the shape of a Danish defensive midfielder, you can wave it, because that's what it comes back to. I think that's Exactly, the type of games so you you build, you bring Abel Gore in because he's got that defensive strength. He, he knows how to recover. He knows his positioning, and he can still he can still play the ball to a, not a Matt O'Reilly passing level, but still sufficient enough. So yeah, again, it's just it didn't work at Do
0: you fear for Wednesday night? With Aurelien uh, 6, do you think there's any chance of a curveball of Avogard coming in to play the defensive midfield? Because it makes sense that when guess, you go to the Bernabeu, you have a defensive player in there. I, I don't really fear anything, because it's other than an embarrassment. Because it's
1: uh, Other than that, it doesn't mean anything. I, it's, weirdly, I think it's it probably works a little bit better with Matt in the 6 against Real Madrid than goes does against Leipzig and Shakhtar because of the type of the game is. Schachter and Leipzig is very, they're very transitional based. And that's just a fancy word for saying that they counter attack a lot. But you, you see you how those four games, especially the last three games, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They, Schachter and Leipzig are very specific in how they try to draw you out and then hit you fast on the break in the transitions. And that puts a lot, a lot of emphasis on, the, especially Celtics' two central midfielders. Do they push up behind the forward line when they press? Do, do they? Do they fall? Do they? When do they fall? When do they fall? The ground those two midfield have to cover, and the defensive work they have to do within that, because the game is so stretched distance distances so much, and the other team keeps coming, keeps coming. The type of the fast players they have, it, you probably get away, quote unquote, with playing around the six more against Real Madrid. Even though that makes sense, but, because what I mean by that is Real Madrid is Likely to have so much of the ball and build up play against you, and you can sit a little bit deeper, and you can you, you don't have it's not that much back and forth essentially to keep it simple, right? So uh, I don't have a huge fear of Madrid or having Matt O'Reilly there, but the kind of the damage has been done. This like the choices has been made in the last three games for that. So and I can see Anshu's logic in doing it, but it hasn't worked.
0: I think on Sky the uh, weekend uh, they said that Matt Rayleigh really has, has had the most shots this season without scoring so I've got a feeling that that's just going to get worse unless he actually gets a goal soon Well yeah I mean
1: that's, that's true what we're looking at overall XG of 3.7 without out goal and that is that's it's, it's goals will come but goals are less likely to come when you keep shooting for silly positions Right. And then, and if he's going to keep to be fair to him, I think the Shakhtar game was, you know, maybe an outliner so far because, okay, and, and the league is still, he's not shooting as much. He's still shooting for a couple of silly positions, in my in my view. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you just have to accept that, you know, if number six, you are creating a role. Like, it's you know, your job isn't really to get on on the end of a, a show.
0: So moving on, you wanted to talk about um, CCV and Juranovic, the kind of um, comparison between how the the, the kind of treated uh, Mudrić with the, him running through and goal basically. Um, I was on the reaction and I said that Juranovic um, should have taken anything that he could take from that if he can, if he can just get the man, take the man uh, because he's not going to get sent off anyway. In that position, I think you're being a bit more diplomatic in that you're saying you're claiming that Celtic had men over, and it it wasn't as if it was that dangerous a position he was moving into. My opinion, it's probably without come bias that. If you've got a player that's as genuinely, I would say, moving into the world-class world, cl- world class range and, and uh, that that guy, you, you keep him as far away from goal as possible, and especially when he's running at you with, with speed. What, what do you want to say about the whole C in United's comparison? First of all, I think he's
1: getting a red card if, it's, <laughs> <laughs> if it takes much week then, by the way. But uh, that's by. and Do you rather which in the Champions League isn't? speaking to someone on Twitter about this, it would probably be an interesting case study because he's got he's got like three almost a very similar situations. Modric in both games and then in concurrent in, in the Leipzig game. Three very similar situations where he has to track back and, and the player is facing a score. And I think, you know, I don't think you out of a is making a huge fault at any of those. You know, is 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 running as fast as he can almost and he's he's facing three really well two really good players with very well timed run who is blistering fast as well. So but, but the thing with this situation specifically I I think I guess it's a chance of he should just try and take Mudridge out here, And I think if your average goes full put and tries to tackle him, I don't know if he gets him. Right? Because Mudridge is is very fast and you, you seem like maybe he's or is favorite for the ball but I see once you you decide to tackle what weirdly happens is, is that you lose speed. Like once you once you stop running Essentially, you start losing even in, in, in the split seconds of making a tackle. So unless you want to just run into, him, I don't know if he if he goes 100% if he reaches the ball or not. But I think there's a fair decision to say, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna. And he, maybe he tries to put Mudridge a bit aside, but Modric just, just faces up. But he, essentially, what he doesn't sell himself in that situation. And what he has right behind him, he has Cameron Carter-Wickers and he's got Ria Tata right behind them as well. So I think it's absolutely fine to kind of keep Mudrich, you know, you haven't gambled on tackling him because if you miss, I think you either get a red card or you go Mudrich Mudric one-on-one with Joe Hart, and you've got players behind you. So you, he's able to steer him into away from the penalty box, right? And he goes inwards and he's able to take a shot from 20 yards straight on the goal, but I think Djurandovic has by and by done his job. He's taken a choice, but once he's taken that choice not to risk it, he's put Modric into almost as good an area as as he can do, Like once you have that. And then from that, okay, it's a good shot. But for me, Joe Hart is (laughs) too far out, right? He's almost four or five yards and there's absolutely no need for a goalkeeper to stay on four or five yards if he's facing a shot for 20 yards. Where you need to stand there is on your goal line. And that's just, I was going to say, that's mathematically proven. It is kind of mathematically proven that you have a much larger chance of saving a shot if you're standing on your goal line from that. So uh, that's by and by. So I think Doranovic has been criticized for, for not taking that chance. But I think you, you saw with the situation with. CCV, when, um, Chakda had a pretty big chance of (laughs) which man miscontrolling and missing an open goal that CCV makes that decision to clatter into him. And the area he does it is absolutely, first of all, there's absolutely no need to do it because Modric is just inside Celtics half. He's much wider. So CCV can show him down. There's a good example. You can show him down the line easily. And also, CCV doesn't have, he's got Jens 30 yards behind him maybe. So if he misses, and Budra's got a lot more space, then you would have a lot of space to run into. CCV completely misses the ball. And you can kind of, I kind of slowed it down. It's You can almost see there's like a split second where CCV decides if he's going to go for it or not. And that split second is probably enough for Modric to just nick the ball and do it because I think CCB is just as much a favorite for the ball than Juranovic is to do it. But he takes a chance, he misses, and it's a certain goal. Right? That's just like a once-in-a-lifetime mess. So in those kind of two situations, I think Juranovic has made a, a, a understandable choice in terms of, I'm not going to risk that. I'm going to stay at goal side. I'm going to move him in. Oh, uh, and then Modric does what he does. CCV just goes poof. And, you know, he does a slight tackle. He doesn't really stop before he's in the stands, right? And that that should have been the goal. That should have been it over. So for, for me, that's just, I, I think it's an understandable choice by Duranovic. I think CCB's choice there just shows you what can happen if you, you go for it and, and you miss it. And overall, I think, you know, the most sensible thing is, is not to risk that.
0: Do you think um, CCB makes that decision if it wasn't for the fact that it just happened with Juranovic and Juranovic didn't make that decision?
1: Maybe. I mean, it's 13 minutes later, but it's it's still 20 minutes to go. Right? It's, it's not like it's injury time. you just need to get the ball back in a few minutes, so what? He doesn't need to do it. And if that does not so, is that if that does affect his decision making, well, that's not very good, then is it? <laughs> like, it, it, that sounds harsh because CCV is still not, uh, you know, still a young center back, and this is his first time in the Champions League, so he's learning as well. But that's another example of, well, that is, was well, a clear example of having that cool head, I guess, and having that, you know, e- even at those points where it's really tempting just to clutter into him and then go, go back up and get another goal like just these are the key moments where you need to keep your head you need to make the right decisions Yosef Riyanovic makes a, a as I said understandable decision and CCB just goes nah I'm going to get him and he misses
0: I must admit though the, this season I've had a, I've found a Better appreciation of CCV, mostly because of watching Jens and Welsh play together in the defence. And Jens is one that you've highlighted, especially his passing out from the back. <laughs> what would you want to tell us about Jens and his passing against Schachter?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I thought that goal was interesting. You know, talking about Ria today. I sent you some screenshots where I've seen, I think it's understandable that had to put the ball where he does, because when he lofts the ball in, there's four Celtic players. Forming a wall in front of the Shakhtar player that that gets the ball and starts the counter attack, but when the ball actually reaches it, the, the, the Celtic place. I've just moved. I think I think it's just bad luck.
0: And one so. of the things that people always say is that we want our midfielders to be trying things that that far up the park because if we lose possession, then we can win the ball back. And then yeah. when we do it, then we
1: yeah. It. I, I have a I have a lot to say about how Celtic set up when they attack and like the rest defense as we called it. and I it, it, suppose it should be a lot better structured in the Champions League because you get punished with the way you set up but that's a whole other discussion I mean, we've talked a little bit about it being on the scoreboard but yeah, it's yeah, and then my anyway, boys, yes, Jens let's talk about more Jens um, it was just one of those this is kind of like a smoker sport of me just, you know getting all the things I needed to say out. but I think Jens was... During the game and also watching it back, I think it was hugely frustrating because...
0: Just, just to say, I've got Let's Talk About Yens running through my head. Like, let's Talk About Jens. Let's Talk About, about, yes. yeah, so so about Maurice Let's Talk
1: About CCD. Okay, I'm going to stop there.
0: I'm so, I'm sorry that I unleashed that into the world.
1: See, I listened to that again. I think it's probably a listen to absolute 90s, as I do sometimes when I'm driving. And that came on. Oh, it's such a part of my my teens. Like salt and pepper. Oh, sorry. I mean, let's not go that route, but uh, you know, it's a great tune. It's a great tune.
0: Graham. You've alienated it, half of our audience, Christian. I know,
1: but it's the half that was left. Um, so, anyway, so Maurice Jens. Another, there was four <laughs> examples I've given you of almost the same identical situation where Morris Jens is, is in a bit of space coming into Shakhtar's half on the left hand side. And Greg Taylor and Ria Hatate is giving him options almost straight ahead. And then you got Haxabanovich out or right on the left-hand side. And it was frustrating because the first three times, Maurice Jens, you know, I just talked a lot about being brave and making it, you know, in these situations, if you're facing this block, you, you have to have a certain element of, of risk. Yeah, but also kind of that finding that moment and, and being able to to hit, decide quickly and hitting the ball and, and just executing it. And I think with more chance here, like this this tr- 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 for example, the first example, he waits too long, and then when he tries to hit hatate. It gets intercepted, and that maybe gets a little bit in on his mind, I think, because this is after 14 minutes, and then, but 10, 10 minutes later, he's got, he's just coming into Shakhtar's half, as you can see here, and Greg Taylor has kind of like gotten free from the central midfielder for Shakhtar. He's in, Jens can play a quite a simple ball right in the path of Greg Taylor. And you got Haksibanovich out left. And he's he's being followed by I think the the winger. And then you got Hatati a bit further So there's so much space because of where we are. is because Haksabanovich is if you give Greg Taylor that ball, that's a really dangerous situation straight away because he's facing the right way, he's almost halfway into the Shakhtar half, and he's got about Haksabanovich stretching play out wide, he's got Hatati stretching play high up. Morris Jens stops, turns around and plays it back to CV, CCV. And it's just like, come on, mate. I it's it's such it's one of the things that infuriated me the most of the whole game. And it's a little thing, but it's just like you just need to slide the ball. And it's not even a risky pass. It you know, example number three is a bit similar, it's just Jens has the ball a bit further into the Shakhtar half. He's got Haxa and Taylor to his left. Then Ria Tata makes... He kind of bursts away from his uh, marker. He he goes up, he goes into kind of that pocket that's open up, and there's lots of space. He's right in front So Jens. Again, he can slide the ball there, and he hesitates. Again, it just doesn't... You see it, it should go like that. He doesn't do it. He stops up, and kind of obviously signals a very clear signal he's just going to put a, to the left to Greg Taylor who's instantly under pressure and Celtic lose the ball. The really frustrating thing with in, in this at the end of the half game is that a minute before half time James comes into the same situation. And I think this is and again you got wide, well, you got Greg Taylor and Hatate behind the Shakhtar midfield line in, in front of the fence. And Moritz Jens, this is probably the toughest pass of mm-hmm. those four. And Moritz Jens just slides it nicely, very nice pass into Greg Taylor, who on one, his it, first touch straight out to Hak and Celtic, quite, quite a dangerous position. Uh, Greg Taylor keeps running. He gets the ball into penalty books. Celtic gets the corner, but he does like it against He's the one time he tries to progressive pass, Moritz, see what happens. And it's, it's probably the most difficult pass of those four. So it's that, it's that inconsistency that infuriates me that you have these opportunities. You're playing in the Champions League and you get out. Your left back, your left centre midfielder, your left winger is in the position they made the runs they're doing. Okay, it's, it's not easy if it's the balls, but you're a professional footballer. You can make all of them. And he does not he does. He, he waits too long for the first one. He misses the two other ones. He just dies. like chickens out. I, to be honest, and he's 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 probably maybe because he's missed the first one, but the last one he says he could do it.
0: And you think, I, you have to remember that this, this is not all happening in the vacuum. You've got the fact that. He, he would have been fully prepped on the players that Shakhtar have, of their desire to be hitting us in quick counter attacks as quickly as possible. He also has, uh, the crowds who were, I've heard it described as it was quite a toxic atmosphere in the stadium. Uh, so obviously they're going to be on top of everything. And then when Hatati loses possession, 30 yards from goal, uh, from the other goal, and, uh he, he, they got the parking score. He is then blamed on social media for, for that goal. So there's probably, probably going to be a lot of things going through a player like Yenge's head because he hasn't played much football at this level. And he's been asked to do things against a team that if you don't do it correctly, you're, could be punished pretty badly because they've got really good players that can hit the counter attack. So is there some slack that we need, need to let, give them, you know what I mean? Like is it, K- Krimi,
1: like You're absolutely right in everything you say there. I think a lot of that is the reasons. But that comes back to the point is why is he there then? Right? He is the centre back you brought in this summer. So again, I'm not really blaming Morris Jens. I had a really good look at Morris Jens over the summer, what he did in France and what he did in Switzerland. And the main conclusion for me is that that is not a player you would ever signed based on his season in France because his season in France was terrible. You know, he, he was better in Switzerland but the reports you got, like, speaking to scouts who watched him in the Premier League 2 for full, and it's like, it's not sold on man either. So you, you put this guy in a position everything you said there, I, I think has an impact and this is his level and maybe he will develop a bit better but he is the person you put in you bought in the summer, you him in the summer, and if Karstafel is not there, which is a good chance, he's going to be playing in the Champions League, and he will have to do that. So, yeah, he's doing this to his best of his ability, probably. The, the issue is more that he's in that position, and that is the play you, you picked. And it's not, I don't think he's a worse passer than maybe any of the other centre-backs, but again, that, that's what you wanted. And it's in these situations, in these Champions League situation, you needed to bring somebody who's who's got the I guess, courage, confidence to do those kind of passes. That was your job in the summer, to get somebody like that. He could do it in patches, as we say, but it's that's what it comes back to. It's the same The Matt O'Reilly at Apple as well.
0: So I, I'm going to move on uh, from Shakhtar now. The only other thing I think you wanted to talk about was... Uh... Gigi's chaotic pressing. Uh, I think oh. in the reaction I described at the first thirty minutes as his Labrador mode, uh, and he. Is there anything quickly, briefly what you want to say about Gigi and his pressing against Shakhtar? So
1: well, we talked a lot about the pressing, right, uh, and beyond the scoreboard and before that, and how the front press, especially for I me, mean, hasn't worked in the Champions League. I don't think it worked against this game either. Shakhtar, as we said on the positional analysis, the goal kick was so rehearsed and their goal kicks was almost like a set piece. They had very set routines of what they wanted to do. So that was one thing. And you can see when the goalkeeper, for example, tapped it to the centre-back beside him and they took the goal kick, he was just waiting. He's just waiting for Gigi or or Kiyoko to run against him. He wasn't afraid of it. This is the plan we move them towards us, we pop it behind them, right? So their goal kicks were really rehearsed I think overall and the start of was Celtic doing quite well and they're kind of creating that chaos for them and they're pushing them and winning a couple of, of uh, balls quite high up, but after the first kind of 15-20 minutes just Shakhtar had, had their number I think in terms of that press, but uh, so it was probably something we can come back to more but <laughs> the thing by Gigi specifically is that I've criticized Kyogo quite a bit on the underscore board in terms of his choices in that front press. Because I think Kyogo has almost an untapped resource of stamina, right? He's probably one of the fittest players in that team, and he runs a lot. I've got issues with where Kyogo runs in the press and what he chooses, how aggressive he is, and so on. But he has the resources to run against defenders and press them, and then he has the stamina to run back as well. Gigi's stamina is a much scarcer resource, right? If Kyogo is renewable energy, Gigi is fossil fuel, right? There's just not... He only has a set amount of of stamina in a game. He isn't as physically fit as, as Kyogo, and that's fine. You know, they're two different players. That's not his fault. He... Gigi also tries... Right. And he, he does lots he, for him, he does lots of running. It's just the way he, he kinda of allocates his, his fossil fuel resources. And, and the, the kind of comparison, uh, the second example I've sent to you as well, is that so much of what we talked about is that those front through, those front two, what, what they need to be aware of is is the deep pivot behind them. So Shakta's defensive midfielder. That's who Shakta wants to get on the ball. They want to get him on the ball facing Celtic's goal because that means they've got past the first front press and if he's got the time to turn on the ball, that means the midfield isn't high enough on them, there's too much distances and he can tread passes like he did. And it's these cases where that kind of example, a couple of examples where the first one, Gigi runs towards the striker, the right centre-back. And you know, he, like, he, he, he presses him, he forces the ball wide. And I guess that's okay. What Kyogo does at that point, Kyogo runs over, he follows the, the Shakhtar pivot over to the other side. So when the ball goes out wide, Kyogo has placed himself between the ball and the Shakta pivot because he's got that stamina to do that. He's made the run from the right-hand side over to the deep on left Place himself in front of the Schachter, um Pivot. Perfect. That's why you want, that's why you if your first striker goes, the other striker should drop down on the pivot. The ball goes back over, other side of the pitch again. Kyogo goes out and presses the left center back. Should he been doing that. I don't think he should. I think he can just hold off a bit. But again, the shakhtar goes out wide left, right? They went out right the first phase that went out to the right-hand side, Kyogo came over and stood on the pivot. So the pivot couldn't get the ball. The ball goes out left, Kyogo presses. Gigi do not have essentially, I guess, the energy to go and sit on the pivot like Kyogo does. So Chakti passes it in nicely. Shaq, the pivot has a lot of time for the ball. He can turn. You know. So... It, 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 it's just how we allocate resources. The other example I sent you, it's kind of similar, right? Kyogo chases, ball scores, um, Gigi chases to the right centre-back. The ball goes over to the left centre-back, Kyogo chases him. The pivot moves, obviously, towards his left back. I mean we just need a screenshot here, Graham. is about two, three yards away from the pivot when the ball goes out to the left back. A couple of seconds later when the left eye has the ball. The pivot has a lot of space, but Gigi is about two yards behind him. And you can see Gigi going, look at this guy. And somebody picked him up, and I go, mate, look around you. you two, three yards away from him. Nobody, none of your teammates are within 15 yards of this guy. That's your guy. I know you just made that run towards the right center back, but you need to make that run back and stand on that pivot and make sure he doesn't get the ball, because Kyogo does that.
0: That's a frustrating thing, because...
1: And and then what happens is, the the pivot gets the ball, and and then Gigi goes, oh, fuck, I should probably run after him. It's too late, because he's got the time and space, he pops it up uh, wide again, and then pops it back in the middle, and Shakhtar goes to the pitch. So, Gigi has a limited amount of of stamina, and that's fine. He needs to be coached, and say, like, you your focus needs to be sitting on the guy behind you not the guy in front of you in the front press and that's your role because you can't do both once you do, once you've run up to the centre-back you're not going to have the energy to run back are you so maybe don't do it that often but.
0: The, the frustrating element about that is that we see this on a week-to-week basis because that's what every team in Scotland tries to do to Callum McGregor, they try and sit on him so he can't get the ball and move it forward and we, we should have the awareness to know that their centre-backs are not going to be Virgil van Dijk-esque with their passing, so what we want to do is make them pass the ball by cutting off the options to the defensive midfielders. And we, as you said, it just wasn't working. It wasn't happening. And
1: that's the way you set up the press, of course. As you say, so a lot of teams in Scotland would have a front striker, and then they would have a guy right behind the front striker whose job is sit on the six. Right? Celtic, which a lot of people do this, a team does this as well. They have the two front players in the press, and that's okay, you, you you stop the opposition team from coming up easily. But as we talked about a lot because then you have to watch the distance between your front two, front two and your midfield two because you don't have a an actual attacking midfielders to sit in between them. Again, it's fine, but the one of the ways you have to then combat that in Europe specifically is that one of your front two players, one of your strikers have to drop down on that number six. So one of your strikers can press a bit. So you've one of your strikers press on the right, the one who sits on the left. His focus shouldn't be on the left centre back. His should be on the focus on the player behind him. And you can rotate that, and that's how you get the best of both worlds. But if, if maybe that's I don't know what they're trying to do with Kyogo and, and Gigi in the front press, but but none of them have been good in the front press for Celtic in the Champions League. Kyogo runs always a lot more because he can run a lot more, but his decisions on to attack how aggressive how high it should be it's, I think it's been questionable as we said and Gigi does not have the stamina or maybe he doesn't even have the awareness but uh, yeah it is what it is the front press hasn't been working it didn't work here either
0: so we'll move on now to looking at the game other than we- that great game yeah
1: of course, of course. that list of complaints <laughs> that I've got
0: uh- so Livingston was an interesting game. We didn't create many chances until the latter stages of the match. We did have a a, a severely good a uh, Level of control in the game uh, We didn't look troubled at any point point. One thing I noticed from Stephen Russell Stephen Russell has a newsletter that he sends Out after the, the, the weekend of games Where he does a little review Of each game with the, the, the Stats and everything And on that he was talking about how We positioned our wingers differently So instead of the wingers being kind of Deep and wide they, they were brought in A little bit to To Change up the way that we could play against Livingston. What did you make of our use of the wingers uh, in the weekend? Because I don't think either of them got many plaudits from the match. But were they effective within the kind of machine? Were they effective cogs in the machine of us trying to get points at Livingston? Yeah, I
1: mean, we've talked about Livingston a lot in this kind of position analysis, especially on the back of their game against against stranges as well. So <clears throat> I think it was a much <laughs> tighter seems like the, the result was in doubt. I think once the goal went in, I don't think the result was very much in doubt. The first goal went in because Livingston is very limited what they're gonna do offensively. But as you say, like Celtic sixteen shots in total, that's okay, that's the fifth Fewest in the league this season, and uh, so it's about a bit below average. Six shots in the first half. Versus. Livingston still did their job to a large degree. I, I think Kyogo's goal is that little mistake you're looking for because the centre back rushes up to Taylor, mm-hmm. which leaves the space behind him for Kyogo, and because it's Greg t- great Taylor Ballondor, you know he, he he finds that pass. And Kyogas finishes. You know, maybe he can't finish after all. Um, it's really good. So, but other than that, I mean, it's still a tough game to break down. Livingston here, and I think, as you said, the the wingers switching it up a little bit. I mean, inwards uh, again for me. It's not. It's not the game you start a bad at for you know. that uh, sort of is you can see why it didn't start a bad there in terms of. There was so little, there was going to be so little space and not much space in front of them. Um, but for me, Graham, in terms of it, was just such different vibes between the two sides, a different type of left or the right side for Celtic in terms of you play Hak Hatate and Taylor, who have so much movement. And they're all players who, who switch position and rotate position so effectively, you know, Taylor comes inwards, goes beyond, Hatati goes deep, he goes high, come can, can come inwards as well, and that's I think that's where you see the wings, because Hexabanovich is very much an inverted wing in, in, in a lot of sense. And then you have the right-hand side, which is Anthony Rouse James Forrest and Aaron Moy. That's a, that's a traditional right-hand side, you know, that there's not going to be that many rotations, that many movements. But the the one good thing I thought that Well, Livingston was, I think they were a lot better at, you know, in the position analysis, we talked a lot about that gap between the center back and the full back, the Livingston one. So they, in the game in March, Celtic exploded that ruthlessly because they put two center backs on the striker. And you can see they were a lot more, I think they were better at moving one of the center backs over towards the full back so he didn't get that space. What also that does is that you, you, you are then pulling that centre-back away from from the middle. So this is kind of like the, the risk in the watching. If you can put your two centre-backs in the, in centrally and you'll have pretty good control centrally, but you're leaving that space up to the full-back three, which Celtic exploited. If you move your centre-back out there, okay, but then you, you leave one less guy in the middle and you're pulling your centre-back out. And if on that left-hand side with those... Three players specifically, the way they rotate. If you know, if you're a Livingston center back, people are not used to facing that. So I think that was, you know, even if Livingston kind of came up with an answer to that, Celtic countered with that movement. But just take a deep breath. I go again. And the one thing I write about Celtic's kind of response to that, again, if you get the wingers, but Moy, I don't know if you've listened to any Unique podcast. Not as big as fan. I don't know if that come come across on anything, of what I've said in so far, but... Uh, I, you wanted, know.
0: I wanted to ask you about him, because on the reaction with uh, Lorenzo and Eddie, he was getting quite a lot of praise. Uh, not from Paul Carlin. Paul <laughs> Carlin looks at, it sounds as if he wants to murder him, but... Uh, full, disc-
1: full disclaimer, I sent Paul a couple of messages on Instagram after that podcast. Uh, <laughs> we'll, 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 what are about we'll me, between me and Paul, but... I will the thing with Aramoy, not as big as fan, but what I thought was really good in the first half here was the way he came over to the left hand side. Because I haven't really seen that before when he's played in eight. You know, and what we talked about a lot before the game as well is that against teams like Livingston, what you have to do, you have to have that movement, but you have to try and create some sort of either an overload where you have more players. Dan Livingston in quite dangerous spaces just for a few seconds, but that's enough. Or you have to create what we call like a qualitative superiority. So you have the same amount of players, but if you have the same amount of players, if your players are better and they got a decent amount of space, they'll make things happen. And I think by Aaron Moy quite specifically, coming over to the left-hand side. Let's be honest, it's the left-hand side the action is going to be, right? If you have one left-hand side with those players and the right-hand side with the other players, the left-hand side is where the action is going to be. And what I thought Moy did well and and how he worked really well within the system was that he came over to that left-hand side where the action was, and he was able to place himself, you know, really far over at times. I sent you a a few screenshots in terms of by him coming over, he gave another passing option. What he also did, he brought the center back with him. Yeah. So center back comes up, pops out against him a couple of times. And this situation, because Matt O'Reilly is quite close as well, there's the first screenshot there's, there's a five against five. And second shield there's four against four. And then I think in the last screenshot, Celtic actually for a few seconds had five against four. And because the players on that left-hand side are all really good movers in movement. But Aaron Moy coming in and placing himself in that, I think that was quite an effective way. Now, Celtic didn't create a lot, but I think by doing that, you kept Livingston busy, you kept probing, and you did. so I think Aaron Moy in the system did his job well there, and you know, he's, he they managed to use Aaron Moy to ping passes off him, and so on. I mean, so, so uh, you know, within the system, Moy worked better than I've seen him by doing those movements. I mean, however, to give Paul his credit, it, it's still in that game, Aramoy's hugely frustrating for me because he is still slow. It's literally slow. There's a couple of passes where he passes him the ball. It just does have the speed to move a couple of yards. And he's I think he's still sloppy on the ball a lot as well. And he's more often than not he pushes the ball backwards if there's nothing on. But when he moved over to the left-hand side with all those players around him with the movement, they could use him out for one-twos and he he can make him out of space. And he he got a good shot away from it as well. So Aaron Moy worked as good as I've seen him within the system. He's still, I think, is very also a future frustrating player. And and a lot of that has to do with his physical capability and his penchant for... In a way, because in one sense, he loves a, a true ball, but he's also very safe on the ball and pushes it back. And <laughs> unless you can put, put in those situations where you can use the one-twos and stuff, I think it's just too slow. And so he's in equal measures. I think he was one he had his better games, but he's, he's all, <laughs> at the same time, he, he still frustrates me in the same ways.
0: So. Damning with Fint price yeah. So. About. Well, well, Gal uh, described uh, Abada as being a frustrating young man. You've described uh, Moi as being a frustrating old man. So, yes, at least that's.
1: that's I'm happy. I'm not going to tweet that, but like Gal does.
0: We'll move on from the action, and we want to talk a a few news stories. We've got about twenty minutes left before we wrap up. Lots of time. Tell us why or whether we should be excited, Christian, about Yuki Kobayashi.
1: Well, I, I didn't think I would have to dust off. The old stat machine this early. I was I was going to wait until you know the World Cup came yeah. along. Watch all the stats scouting we can do in the World Cup, um, but yeah, that's so um, I don't think anybody saw Celtic coming in for a Japanese player this window. So that that's first of all, that, that was a huge shock. Um, that sounded a bit sarcastic. Um, I think it's a good thing. I keep going back, but um, I mean that's surprising. So I, I've hardly had any time to to look at his footage. So I think that's part of a centre-back scouting is so much to do with looking at the footage.
0: You did send us a clip of him doing a crowd turn, though. So I, I mean, I, 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 I,
1: did, I did enjoy his cross turn. Uh, sending in a striker just off the pitch. I was like, uh, more of this, please. But the thing you have to be very careful with centre-back stats um, because they're very, very dependent on the team style. Even something like pass maps will be very dependent on the team style. But the interesting thing with uh, Kobayashi, because you know, I opened the stat machine, you know, cranked it open like one of those like great Gatsby cars, yep, um, yeah. <laughs> uh filthy machine, and I thought, okay, well, it's, this this is going to be, he's going to have sky high, you know, dribbles and passes, and you know, it's going to be a big week in the tackle, isn't it? From the stats, it's almost the completely opposite, right? And what was if these keep. Links continue. We'll, we'll watch them more, we'll dig a bit more into the stats. But I, I do wonder how much I'm going to have a look at the the average. How often centre backs in Japan, on average, win their um, like aerial duels? Because maybe they, maybe they're more. But the boys won seventy. The boy, the man's won seventy six percent of all his headers, like this season. That puts him in the top sixth percentile. Of all center backs from all the leagues we have, which is about 2000 center backs. So, and he's a height of 185, uh, which I know what isn't for an inch is in foot and inches because it's pretty much my height, it's six one, So he's not a, you know, who's I'll CCV height, I guess, maybe, maybe around there. So he's not a huge top, but, but he's, he's, his defensive output stats are good, right? So, so he's quite the, aggressive. Yeah, we'll see that when this team actually play. I mean, tackles one again uh, in the top third, uh, interceptions, possession wins, no position half against way above average, fouls in terms of how many he commits and in terms of how many duels is. uh again, good, you know, on the good side in terms of that. But it, I think that is the caveat of it's a certain conditions in the Japanese league Um but they do that, and Kobe obviously Kobe's been struggling this year on the you know, relegation side, so he'll be in a lot, involved in a lot of duels. But it, it wasn't what I expected from the stats. So I think that's for me the way you should really try and do this scouting is have a look, at, have a look at the stats, and then see what pops out for you, and kind of in a way let that guide your, your video analysis of it as well. saying it can be kind of a, a trigger to, to have a look at something. But so it's defensive activities so But it's the thing with the dribbles because you expect him this is a guy who takes very few dribbles in terms of um, where you compare to other centre-backs. He's 0.3 dribbles per 90, which is in the bottom 25% of all centre-backs. But then on passes, again, he is a centre-back who's used to be on the ball a lot. So almost 60 passes per 90, which is in the top 12%. So at least with, you know, if, if a centre back Celtic, you're going to pass the ball a lot, so, so he's used to that. But and his his ball security as well is is very high compared to how often he loses the ball compared to how often he's he's on the ball. You know, top twenty percent um, doesn't like a shot, right? It's in the bottom three percent in how many shots it takes compared to centre back. So it's, it's not a guy okay. probably he's going to score lots of goals at corners. Uh, it's but it definitely doesn't do it now. But so it wasn't quite what I expected to see from the stats. So I think that would be an interesting starting point to actually go and watch him uh, analysis. Um, we, we, I, we can go on to the past maps, but was there anything you kind of popped out of here? Or?
0: No, I mean, one of the things I think is important to reiterate is, is, is so much about the team, and yeah. if, it, if this is a team that's been struggling, then he's probably not going to have as many options to be like dribbling out from the back and stuff like that. And one, one thing that Obviously, it's a very different system over there. They go to university first, and then they start their football career. He's only had about what, over just over fifty career games. Is that something that worries you at this stage, or or is it? Yeah, no, I mean, of-
1: I, I think the university system is. It's not like here. I played university, university football, right? So, um, gives you a certain level uh, insight into the level, but I, I don't think so. I mean, he's still he's I mean, twenty. Two for a center back, so you know having played fifty games in a decent league as a twenty year old center back that's okay I know, that's not bad at all um so I think it'd be an interesting one to watch because his his pass map intrigues me in terms of so its it's very i thought when I looked at his pass map specifically, it's like, oh, has he played a lot at left back or Is Kobe, are they playing a tree at the back? But they're not, and he hasn't. I think it's a few games start of the he he was left back, but the rest has been central midfield. And they're playing a four, but he's very much on the left-hand side. So I think Kobe probably puts their centre-backs quite wide because you can see it from his pass map, like how you know, it's it's, it's very much towards the left-hand side. But then you look at where his passes actually go. And again, I think this is very much a, a team style. He loves a crossfield ping. It's treating as he loves, right? Um, He bloody loves putting the ball out to his left back and his his left winger because it's just, how do you even describe it? There's a wall of of passes uh, to the left hand side and they're really wide, right? So if he has the ball on the left hand side, he pings it to his left back, left winger. He likes to hit his centre back. He's, you know, his opposite centre back. He's, uh, you know, they'll fit right into Celtic. You get to square your ball, watch your centre back there. But as you say, he does love a cross field ping from left to right, doesn't he? And um, this is a good, and this is his last 10 games. And he's had about 20 to the to the right wing.
0: And they're run. mostly successful.
1: Yeah, no, they are. So uh, again, and this, as I said, this is of the last 10 games as well. So uh love to put a short, out left, he loves to square it to his centre back. He loves to ping it to to the right winger. What it doesn't really like is from this. So he hasn't done much. Is, is stepping out into the opposition's half and sending a ball centrally. Right and when he that's steps in, what we want is it not? Well, yeah. So when he steps into the half. He, he has a few passes from in, within the uh, Shakhtar. He's not playing Shakhtar like <laughs> When he slips into the opposition's half, he goes left or he goes diagonally right. He does not go into the middle. Like you see, he's past map here, there's just like this big gap from about uh, a little bit into the 16-yard box in terms of like vert- uh, laterally. And then there is this big gap all the way to the right wing. There's hardly any passes he even attempts into the middle. So it's very much short to the left, really far to the right uh, in, in terms of his passing. But again, like it, it, it gets you, it, that doesn't really mean he can't push the ball in centrally. It's it's probably what his you know his options and what his his cautious want us to do a do, do, uh, Colby. So uh, and being so much on the ball, as I say. Sixty passes a game for for okay that the league in japan is, is a lot closer and you know possession wise and if you towards the bottom of the table you will have the ball a lot more than say uh, Livingston but he's in the top forty percent of passes per game, so he's he's used to being on the ball and he's and he's got a pain on him. that's that's how much we can tell from the i mean uh, from that's, the stats so far
0: that seems to me like uh it seems to me like a good foundation if that makes sense yeah uh, i think so. If I mean, if he can do this at this stage for a, a team that's struggling, then if he can ping it like that and be successful most of the time, if he's got good ball security, then that seems like a good building block for the kind of defender that we want.
1: Yeah, and every Celtic centre-back, their passing stats are through the roof because Celtic's got so much possession and a lot of the passes are quote-unquote safe, right? But he's, he's having a lot of passes and a high ball security, as we said, in a team that finishes... Oh, there's one game left, 13th out of 20. Um, so, yeah, I think that's positive. So I to say that this kind of hard to watch the actual play. So once you, you which know, is a handy thing to do when you're scouting someone. Um, but the starting point of is interesting. And I think the starting point is encouraging. And then maybe exactly like his defensive stats are good as well. I mean, they are. Maybe it has something to do with the position the team is in the league or the league itself, and yeah, it'll impact it. But it's better than having bad defensive stats for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm positive about this guy. Hopefully, it does something in the story because he he seems to have the building blocks for what we, what we need. It's also
1: really, really confusing that there's, there's a player with the same name at the same club.
0: Yeah, and he scored a belt and free kick at the weekend. Did you see that? It was a beauty, Nakamura Esque. So hey, bring them both in. Yeah. Yes. Why not? Why not? So I'm going to go through quickly through a couple of frivolous stories that I put out this week. Uh, one is about, uh, and I believe, quote, the greatest midfielder of his generation, Christian Wolf, uh, Graham Sunnis, And he has urged Celtic and Rangers to combine a stadium, a 100,000-seater stadium, and get a move to the Premier League. Uh, what is your hot take on that hot take,
1: Christian? After, after you said Graham Soonis, I completely lost a Fred. Uh, what you said there. What, what, what did he say? What did the greatest defensive midfielder from the early to mid eighties say?
0: He said that he wants Celtic and Rangers to get a combined stadium. Yes. Share a stadium, a hundred thousand seater stadium and move to the Premier League.
1: Fantastic. I mean, that, that is a man so desperate to get on top sport that you almost have to admire the hustle of just saying pretty much anything just to keep getting a call back to talk sport. And I it's you know, I I applaud that level of commitment to inane and stupid takes because a lot of people would look themselves in the mirror and say, I just can't do that. Even even I have a limit. Even I can't stoop that low to get on talk sport. But fair play to the guy, he's he's really stepped up.
0: And he's, he's now 69, which, as we know, is the sexiest age. <laughs> um, another frivolous, or not so frivolous, but another small story, Haxabanovich has spoken about how he is getting one-on-one sessions with Harry Kiel. And we have, well, I have made fun of on Peak Football for years about the concept of people thinking that John Kennedy was a defensive coach, but now it appears that the winger, the former winger, Harry Kiel, is actually a winger coach. What do, what do you make of this?
1: Um... Yes, maybe that's... Maybe you can blame John Kennedy after all. Remember when everyone was blaming John Kennedy? That that was...
0: that was his, his, his sad face. His body language. His, his body his language. language, yeah.
1: So, there's probably a, a, I was going to say an interesting podcast. An interesting podcast for me in this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think probably something to touch upon... for What was it? Lost in half space in terms of the coaching. Like, the head coaches of really, really top teams. Right it manages. I think you probably will see a trend and this coaching in general in the, the big, that you have more almost lifetime coaches right so coaches who maybe didn't have a big playing career or didn't have a playing career at all, really on a high level, but essentially they've been coaching <laughs> you know they you know if, if you have an ex player who's you know starting taking his batches at thirty five Towards a guy who's maybe started doing his badges at what 15. You got 15, 20 years in terms of, you still have to be a good coach, but you have 15, 20 years on physics, just literally coaching teams and thinking about tactical concepts, seeing the trends, but also learning. And, and you know, this learning about education. How, how, do you, how do you work with people? How do you teach them things? How do you manage them? So I think. And there's always be ex players within it. There's always be ex players who are good at those things and, and have a keen eye out through the career. But I think you will get more and more kind of life coaches to have the you know the overall view of uh, uh, the tactical evolution of a team and what they want to do and how they manage. Right. But within that, so you know, when we've talked to common friends in terms of what. A, players really good at a uh, lot of it's like really lead players do they all have a great tactical understanding of the game no probably not I like some of the most talented players in the world probably have no interest in tactics whatsoever or even you couldn't really teach it or coach it but what we know they're really good at what they're intelligent at what they're really smart about is you put them in a position on the pitch You've got two defenders to the left and right. Instinctively they're incredibly smart because you have to be that at that level. You have to almost have that instinct, that that lived experience of in a specific situation on the pitch in this position, what you do, maybe they can't explain it, but maybe they can walk you through it and they they'll they will see things from their vantage points at the pitch that any analyst couldn't see. That's a really long-winded Answer to your question, Graham. Where I call that where I think there is actually a space for almost player coaches in terms of bringing their experience in certain situations and saying and working one-on-one with players. So, so John Kenny we know, has done a lot of work with Celtic centre backs, which makes a lot of sense, you know. And he's, I think he's got a good tactical view as well. But you go one-on-one sessions. You know, I've lived this situations. So this is what you need to think about. And it's still not any winger or any center back could do that. But I think that is where you maybe see a lot of ex-players moving into those more specialized role where their strengths and their intelligence comes true. Whereas at the elite level of football now, the tactical overview, the the, manner, actually, the coaching you need to have in the whole group of players, you have to be a leader, you have to be a thinker <laughs> to sound pretentious. It's really difficult to pick that up when you're 35, 40 and doing your badges, right? But what you can do is, is bring your experience and your kind of game intelligence into such inspiration. So, yeah, I, I can see how that makes sense with Harry Kuehl because he's he's played Champions League football. You know, he's played at the highest level. So he and he's just, it's quite similar in Jack's advantage as well. So it makes perfect sense. So I think that's where you see X players moving more and more into those kind of spe- specialized coaching roles.
0: I watched his interview with he was interviewed by Michael Bridges at uh, Langston and uh, it was it came across as I quite liked him came across quite impressively uh, just a quick one before we go David Turnbull has been told he needs to leave Celtic On Graham Sooners again
1: no no he's going to play in the joint range of Celtic team so. a, a few
0: a few other blowhards but not Graham So this was on Go Radio Frank McIverney it's says good. he has to get away and he, he's too slow he slows things down and he doesn't play Angie's way if he wants to get in back into Scotland team needs, needs to leave, Ferguson says and wouldn't, wouldn't let him leave. And then uh, Peter Grant uh, agreed with Barry Ferguson saying that he he, he shouldn't be going, he shouldn't be leaving. What do you make quickly? We've got about two minutes left. What do you make right. of uh First Jake of all, um, Tumble?
1: I I said I admired uh Graham as as hustler. Uh, the depth do you go to as well, Graham? The, the lower tiers of Scottish Open do you go into to find this story. I, I respect your host. I also very, very afraid of me and Frank McCovinny. Uh, has the same opinion or something Um I so, uh, yeah I don't have
0: women, alcohol and David Turnbull
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I need a much more than a minute than what I have left of David Turnbull but I, I you know I think I'm a record as it's not he needs to develop a lot to be a really good part of that system and I again I think it's, whereas you've got players like Greg Taylor who's, who's a perfect fit for the system and excels in it David Turnbull is naturally more talented play than Greg Taylor, but because system doesn't fit his strengths, that's why you see because system always trumps individuality. I think in terms of performing uh, in, overall in, in getting the system to work, so that's why Greg Taylor is is having a a great time on Ashmore Stickle, and that's what David Turnbull isn't.
0: And Greg Taylor can nutmeg goalkeepers from twenty five yards. So, yeah. So
1: yeah, there's there is that. So that is been of the year. Last year as well, and this year. So
0: that has been your Halloween special, spectacular, I think you yes. would agree, uh, of the, the review. Christian, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll see you again next Monday. It's really nice when you turn up, Graham. So,
1: hopefully, I'll see you next week as
0: well. I did. So, what happened last week? I did turn up. Uh, I was too drunk because it was uh, um, my, my wife's birthday. And as I told you before, Germans just drink on any day.
1: Nobody could tell that you had a few drinks.
0: Um, and I mean, you were
1: a bit loud, but other than that, nobody could tell.
0: So, I've been Graham McKay, and we will catch you down the road.